the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. In chapter 25, beginning in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on His left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by My Father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. You can be seated. Jesus, you are a wonderful shepherd. You are the shepherd that we truly need in our lives. We welcome your presence here today. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, to make the voice of Jesus known and heard. Give us open hearts, open minds to receive your life-giving words, Jesus It's in your mighty, your wonderful, your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Are there ever any passages in the Bible that you would rather not have to deal with? Are there any particular passages that, if you're honest, you would really prefer they weren't in the Bible? Maybe because they're confusing to you, hard to understand, or maybe they just make us really uncomfortable, like this particular passage 
this morning. The temptation is one to just skip over those passages, go on to the next one that has news that seems better and more positive and more encouraging, but that's the thing about the Bible. All of it is relevant, all of it is good, all of it is true. Sometimes we just need to dig in, all right? We need to endure the uncomfortable nature of the passage. We need to endure how painful the message might be to us because out of that comes life. And I believe this morning as we dig into this passage, we will find life for each of us and maybe help others to find life as well. What is one of the things that makes this passage so uncomfortable? Well, it's that topic of judgment. It's the topic of judgment. God's judgment is not a very fashionable topic these days. People would rather not talk about the idea of God judging the world. Ironically, we're all very comfortable judging other people making our own judgments, but when it comes to the idea of God judging our lives, we, we push back, we shy away. Maybe because we think that we're actually better judges than he is. But the fact is, in this passage, we are faced with the reality that at the end of our days, at the end of history, God will judge our lives. There will be a judgment The interesting thing about this topic of judgment is that as much as we shy away from it and we don't want to talk about it, we want it. We want it desperately. We want a good judge. We we want people providing order to our life, protection from evil, justice to be done and experienced, don't we? If we're honest, we want a good judge. Jesus is saying, I'm that judge this morning. I am that judge that you really want in your life. That judge who's also a wonderful shepherd who seeks out the lost and the weak and the broken and the hurting and calls us to do the same. When we take a look, a closer look at this passage, we see that one day, There will be one throne, one king, one judge who's known by one name. Who's known by one name. And that name is Jesus. All the nations will come before him. Which is also an uncomfortable topic these days, isn't it? Maybe even as Christians, talking with other people about our faith, this exclusive nature of of Jesus being the one. We have, they're, they're across the globe, across the earth, people are practicing different religions today. They are worshiping different gods. And, and some people would say today that, well, it really doesn't matter where what you believe or who you believe in, we're all gonna end up in the same place someday. And clearly in this passage, that is not the case, at least according to how Jesus saw it. 
there, there won't be several different thrones and you'll go to the throne of Allah or you'll go to the throne of Muhammad or you'll go to the throne of Krishna. It's not going to be like that. There will be one judge, one king who's known by one name. It's interesting, throughout history and throughout the life of the church, this has been an uncomfortable topic because when we start talking about Jesus, people get nervous, they get angry, they get upset. That's what happened with the disciples in the early days of the church. When they went around talking about this Jesus, the religious authorities at that time said, go and teach God, teach people about God all you want. Teach them about God. Just don't mention that name. Don't mention the name of Jesus. And yet, we can't get around it. Jesus is at the center of this picture that we find in Matthew 25 of God's ultimate judgment. One of the interesting things that you see in this passage, no one escapes judgment. All nations are there. All of them. No one escapes. And whether you're on the side of the sheep or on the sides of the goats, everyone acknowledges Jesus as Lord. Did you notice this in the story? Everyone acknowledges Jesus as Lord. They recognize his authority and lordship. There will be a day when everybody sees. When he came as a man, his glory was hidden. Not everybody knew this was the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the master and creator of the universe. But one day they will. When they come before the throne of Jesus, his glory will be fully revealed. His majesty, his splendor, and his role as the king of kings will be known to all. No matter what you believed in your life. And Paul makes that, he makes that clear. In other places of scripture, the Apostle Paul, for example, when he says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father. I think one of the reasons that we're so uncomfortable about giving God a specific name is that if we did, we'd be accountable to him. And we don't like that. That's part of our problem as sinful human beings. We don't want to submit to God's authority. If we give God a name, we have to be accountable to him. And yet, this is the one name the one name at which every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. So, the next thing that we see in this passage is a separation. Now, the nature of the judgment is the same for everyone, but the ultimate judgment is different. Not everyone ends up in the same place. Not everyone receives the same judgment from our judge. God separates the sheep from the goats. The sheep on his right, the sheep who he says are blessed by my father, who inherit the kingdom, who will enjoy eternal life. The righteous 
as he refers to them. And then we see the goats on the left, separated, referred to as cursed or separated from God, destined for an eternal fire, eternal punishment. There will be a separation. Ultimately, if you think about it, even as much as the influence of the world around us might cry out, that's unfair, that's not right. How could God do that? We want this. Imagine if heaven was a place just like earth, where people were still sinning against one another and God. Does anybody want a heaven like that? I don't. I want a place free of all evil. I want a place where we're under the rule and authority of a good and gracious, loving and kind king, a father. And in order to do that, God has to separate because there will be people that refuse to bow their knee to Jesus and surrender their life to him. Otherwise, you can't be cleaned up. You cannot become holy. You cannot do this on your own. God has to do a supernatural work inside of us, in our hearts, through the Holy Spirit in relationship with God and Jesus Christ for us to be prepared and be able to enter into that place that is perfect and holy and safe and secure. There will be a separation one day. One of the things that you might presume if you look at this story at face value or just on the surface, you might think, well, getting in to heaven or being one of the sheep just has to do with us serving the poor or the hungry, those in need, because it seems... You know, there could be that misunderstanding or interpretation of this passage because Jesus says, as you've done these things to these people, so you've done it to me. And then he judges accordingly, right? Right? This is one of the things that I always or I struggled with as a Christian for many years is, is Jesus saying that, that our eternal destiny is based on the things that we do? Our works, be, being a good person, serving the poor? Is that the basis of... Our salvation? That's one of the things as, as you grow as a disciple of Jesus, as you recognize you can't just take certain passages out of context. You've got to read the whole story. And when you read the whole story, you read the rest of the New Testament, it is abundantly clear that we, we, don't, we don't enter into salvation. We don't attain eternal life by the things we do. By good works. Paul made that really clear in Ephesians. Let's just go there real quick. In Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 8. Where he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. So that no one may boast. So clearly that cannot be what Jesus means here. And this isn't the only passage that affirms that our salvation, our relationship with God is based on faith, our faith in Jesus. It's based on the gracious gift of God in Jesus that is to be received 
not earned. Not earned. So clearly, Jesus isn't saying here, just becoming a really good person and serving the vulnerable or the needy is not going to save you. There's something more that's necessary. And what we see in this passage, like so many other passages in the Bible, is the nature of our salvation, the judgment that we will experience someday when we each stand before the throne of God, depends on the nature of our relationship with Jesus. Which is what he's expressing here, isn't it? He's describing the nature of people's relationship with Jesus, what they did for Jesus, how they served Jesus, how they loved Jesus, and the form of other people around us. In the form of other people sitting here in this church or the people out in that world that we're a part of, how we love them. Because as we love them, who are we ultimately loving? We're loving Jesus. We're loving Jesus. That's one of the beautiful things, one of the hidden gems in this passage is how personally and intimately God identifies with us. Jesus identifies with us. When you did it for them, you were doing it for me. Anybody that has been a parent understands this. And you probably don't even have to be a parent to understand it. If somebody hurts my son or my daughter, it hurts me. When somebody attacks my son or my daughter, they're attacking me. Have you ever had that kind of experience as a parent when your, your child is experiencing something like that? You get fired up, don't you? You're ready for battle. This is the kind of heart that Jesus is trying to express to people here in this passage. That's an incredible thing. When we love one another as Jesus has loved us, it's as if we're loving on him. We're serving him. What an incredible thing that we have an opportunity today. We can serve the king of kings, the Lord of lords, God Almighty, the creator of the universe. We have an opportunity to love him in a unique way during our lifetime. And it's not always the way we would expect. It's not just coming into church on Sunday mornings and giving him honor and glory in our worship. It's it's not just in reading the scripture and honoring his word. It's how we love people around us. Which is a natural outflow of our relationship with Jesus. It's a natural byproduct of knowing him and loving him is that we begin to love like he loves and serve like he served us. You know that passage that we just looked at in Ephesians chapter 2? We read verse 8, but verse 9 goes on to say this, verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So apparently good works is a positive thing. 
as a follower of Jesus. We are encouraged. We are made for that. We are made to do good to one another, to love one another. One of the interesting things, though, if you pay attention to what this verse says, it says, we are his workmanship, created, how? In Christ Jesus. That's the only way for these things to happen. For us to truly start loving people in the way that Jesus is describing here is to be created in Christ Jesus, to receive the heart of Jesus through the spirit of Jesus in us. That's the only way this is possible. This is not a works-based system here where you earn your way in. It's a byproduct of coming to know and to love Jesus through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, when we say yes to him, we say we want you, we receive you, Jesus. Make us more like you. Then you start gravitating naturally or supernaturally to the thirsty, to the hungry, to those in captivity, to those who are naked, to those who are strangers that don't know Jesus, this thing starts to happen inside of us. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. It's something beautiful to Jesus. It's a precious gift that we offer him when we begin to, to love the least of these, to serve the least of these. So, how, how do you know if you're a sheep? Is that, is that the question that some of us are wondering? How, how, how do you know for sure that you're a sheep? Well, number one, the first question would be, is Jesus your shepherd? Is Jesus your shepherd? Is he the one guiding you and directing your life? Are you listening to his voice? The next thing is, do, do you know Jesus? Do you not just know about him, but have you, are you starting to come to know him as a person? Because Jesus isn't just an idea or somewhere we're going to meet someday. He is a person to have relationship with here and now. Are you coming to know Jesus? If you are, you're going to fall more and more in love with him. You will. If you come to know him as he truly is, you will love Jesus. And then the last question I, I, I'd like you to consider is, are you sharing Jesus with others? Because if you come to, to love Jesus, to know Jesus, you can't help but want to share him with other people because he is so good. He is wonderful. He's what people truly need in their lives. I think one of the clear signs to know if you're a sheep, is if you're giving him away. If you're giving him away, that's one sure sign that you have him in your heart. Because you've come to know Jesus. Oh, he's so good, so beautiful, so kind, so gracious, so merciful, so compassionate, so loving. I want other people to experience him just like I have. And that, it starts to, 
like a flower. It starts to bloom. When we know Jesus, it's, there's a fragrance, there's an aroma, there's a gift that comes out of our lives as, as we surrender to him. One of the interesting things I think to consider in this passage as well is that we're not just talking about people's physical needs. Often in scripture, there are multiple layers to what Jesus is trying to communicate. Now on the surface, it's about people that are thirsty, literally thirsty, people that are hungry, people that need clothes on their back, people that are in prison or captivity, people that are are strangers. And yet all of those things he described are spiritual needs in our life. Aren't they? Being thirsty for God. Hungry for God. Needing to be clothed in His righteousness. Being in captivity and longing for freedom. How would God want to use us in that capacity? To meet the spiritual needs of people around us. Because that's one of the important ways that we love him. Well, I'm not a a minister. I'm not not on the staff of the church. I, I don't know a lot about theology. I don't even really know the Bible well enough. How can I minister to people spiritually out there in the world? You can. You were made for that. Now, one story, real quick as I start to wrap up. When I was out of college, I was experiencing that hunger and that thirst for more of God in my life. And I started looking around for a church to attend. And I was having a conversation with my wonderful grandmother, Nana who was a real spiritual hero in my life. She was the kind of Christian that, she didn't talk about her faith a lot, but she lived it. She lived this kind of picture that we see Jesus presenting of how we are to love as he loved. I was talking to her and I was really proud to be telling her, hey, I'm looking for a church. I want God to be a more central part of my life. And She was like, that's wonderful, Clay. That's great. So have you given your life to Jesus Christ? I don't know. I I honestly had never been presented with that question. In all my days of growing up in the church, never presented with that very important question. Have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? That was the beginning of a whole new relationship with the living God, with Jesus. That's when my life started to really change. My grandmother wasn't an ordained minister. She didn't know the Bible backwards and forwards, but she knew the right question to ask me in that moment in my life when I was hungry and thirsty for God. We all have the capacity to be that kind of person in other people's lives. And the fact is, there's a lot at stake. There's a lot at stake, isn't there? Not everybody will end up in the same place. God does not want people Ending up in that eternal fire. He does not want them to experience eternal punishment. He wants them to to know him, to, to walk into life, into peace, freedom, liberty, and all those things that he offers. 
The stakes are high. It's important. That's part of the, and it, it's uncomfortable, isn't it? But sometimes we need to be made uncomfortable. It's a healthy thing. If you want to follow Jesus, be prepared <laughs> to be uncomfortable on a pretty regular basis. But it's for our own good. You know, ultimately, we, the point of what we're talking about today is what's the nature of your relationship with Jesus right now in your life? There might be some people here who have never invited Jesus into their life, into their heart. Maybe some people that have never acknowledged him as their Lord and Savior. Are, are you hungry this morning? Are you thirsty? Are you recognizing your need for God in your life like never before? Well, Jesus is, is here. He's available. And he's not only a savior, he, he's not just a judge, he's, he's a really good judge. He is a judge that was judged in our place. The judge was judged for us because that's what Jesus did for you and for me. He took upon his shoulder the punishment that we deserve. That's an extraordinary thing. The judge himself coming down to be judged in our place. That's the kind of judge that's going to be in charge at the end. Praise God that that's the kind of judge and that's the kind of love he has for us, all of us. What's God calling you to this morning? Where is where's he shaking things up? Do you want to love more like he does? I do. I'm not there. This picture that he describes, I'm not there. I need help. I need to know him better. I, I need to draw closer to him. I, I need more of his grace and his spirit at work in my life, in my heart, to do to do what he's saying will come naturally when we draw closer to Jesus. And then lastly, thinking about what is, what's God calling me to do? Who are those people out there that are hungry and thirsty in your life, that are strangers, that are in captivity, people that need to be clothed with the righteousness of God, the love of God in their lives, the mercy of God, You'd be surprised at what kind of difference you can make in their lives with Jesus at work in you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your goodness, your grace towards us, for your gift of mercy, kindness, and love. We give you all the honor and the praise, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would give us the grace to love more like you. Our righteous, our holy, our just judge. We pray that we would walk out our lives in a way that we have the honor and the privilege of serving you and loving you and the people we meet and the people we know. And we thank you for the grace to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.